0: Welcome to another Truth Factor Discussion. It's good to have you with us here this morning. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to study with us. If you're watching today's study at maybe a later point in time, thank you for your interest. And we hope that we're able to factor the truth into your life as well as ours today. This morning, we're going to continue in our study of Acts chapter 18. And a little bit later here, I'll have Brian to tell us where we're picking up at and to start the study. But before we do that, let me turn it over to Paul for just a moment. And Paul, if you would let everybody know how
1: they can participate in today's study. Certainly, there are three easy ways to watch the live study today. And as you do that, you might consider uh, looking at YouTube.com slash TruthFactorLive. And there's a nice way to chat there. You can also go to our Facebook page, uh, TruthFactorLive, or you can go to the website, TruthFactor.com and look at the live viewing page. All of those have options to make comments, ask questions, and we'll try to introduce those as we go. Now, you might like to use email to reach out to us, and you can send that to questions at truthfactor.com. And we can also independently be emailed. If you just take our first name, such as mine, Paul at truthfactor.com, John, Tom, Brian, Shelton, at truthfactor.com, and you should be able to email us individually. The email questions uh, will actually go to all of us, and we can collectively answer any questions or receive whatever comment that you might like to make. We're glad that you're watching today. We appreciate that very much. And we look forward to your interaction as we study the Word of God.
0: Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. If you'll notice on the screen, this is episode 268. And I have it down as Acts chapter 19 because we'll be there very shortly. Brian, if you would, go ahead and take us into Acts chapter 18 and show us where we're picking up so we can finish up and move on into 19 today.
2: You bet. Thank you very much, John. So back in the 1400s, it was probably some Catholics uh, came together and came up with the idea of uh, creating verses and chapters in the Bible. Uh, I mention that because this is one of those times where they did not do a really great job in dividing up the scriptures. So when we're careful to say here that the system of verses and chapters in the Bible aren't inspired. And this is one of those places where we kind of wish that they had broken the chapter up a little differently. Because chapter 18 ends uh, with some things that pertain more to chapter 19. We're in chapter 18, verse 34, which is where we're beginning our study today. And we're going to be reading verses 24 through 28, which are going to introduce us to a man named Apollos. We have a question we're going to throw out there here in just a second. Uh, to get started this morning, I think I'm going to drop it on Shelton, if he would, to read for us chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. Absolutely, Brian, not a problem. I'll be in the New King James Version, start
3: at verse 24. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ.
2: Thank you very much, Shelton. Uh, Tom made a comment to me to remind me that really chapter uh, chapter 18, verse 23 is where we, uh, uh, where we see the journey starting. We had read that last week, so I went ahead and started at verse 24, but Tom's right. 23 is where we're introduced to this. Now, we have a chat question we've thrown out there, and the question is about Apollos we read here that in verse 25 he uh, was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning jesus and yet still there was something that he needed to be taught so the question is what things of the lord meaning doctrine could apollos have accurately been teaching before he was taught taught by priscilla and aquila so that's the question we'd like our chat group to think about here uh, so the first question i'll throw out there is the idea of, of apollos apollos is a disciple uh, we would understand with uh, John the Baptist. Do you guys think he was baptized again? Uh, or uh, And we're kind of entrenching on something that we're going to be talking about in the next chapter. Or maybe let's just say, why might it not have been mentioned whether or not he was baptized again? Anybody have any thoughts about that? Uh, because especially since this really would flow nicely to chapter 19 and the first few verses there, why doesn't it mention anything about this here? Anybody have a thought?
3: I don't think it necessarily really had to, uh, in the sense that it's to me anyway, the way I read it, it's almost pretty directly inferred that, that that's, you know, what had happened because, uh, like, you know, not jumping into the chat question or anything, but he was accurately teaching the scriptures on other things, but it was only the baptism of John where he was, where he was off. He just hadn't been taught fully. Uh, yet. And so when they teach him more accurately the way, the only thing they could have been teaching him more accurately would have been uh, about baptism. You know, he knew that Jesus was the Christ. You know, he was already teaching those things. And so um, to me, it's
2: it's it's in there without having to say that it's in there. That's a, that's a great answer. And, and that's an important answer to understand that a lot of things are inferred in Scripture, necessarily inferred, and particularly since it's tied to chapter 19, verses 1, 2, and 3. So that's an important point.
1: Hey, Brian, um, often often in Scripture, when we read about someone being taught the truth, we don't always read about everything they were taught. Uh, it, it is uh, sometimes uh, it, it'll tell them that they preach the gospel, or they preach Jesus to them, or, or uh, any number of things. But then we see that the result is always gospel obedience. I, I would doubt it's any different than uh, the same here with, uh, with Apollos.
2: That's very good. John,
0: you got any thoughts on this? Brian, one thing occurred to me is it could be, from a a narrator's standpoint, uh, Luke writing this. Luke may have simply opted not to have mentioned it because in just a few what we call verses later, there'll be another example where he expounds upon it more. And so, I mean, and I believe he wrote by inspiration, but he probably used his own, thought process in building this. And so
2: maybe... You know, know, uh, I think, think, John, what you're saying is really important. I think, and I'm going to stop short of saying it's a necessary inference, but I would suggest there must be a strong inference that Apollos is probably connected with those same disciples. After all, they're all in the same place. They're disciples of John. It seems really unlikely, uh, as I said, not a necessary inference, but it seems very unlikely that they wouldn't be acquainted with each other. So I suspect that the reason it's it's elaborated in chapter 19 for us and not mentioned here in 18 is there's probably such a direct connection between the two too that there wouldn't be much of a Maybe. much of a gap there. It's possible. Um so so where did uh, apollos eventually end up then? So it's kind of tricky. It just says Achaia in verse 27 there which is uh, one of uh, the region of Greece, but where do we know he specifically ended up? Anybody have a thought? Yeah. I believe it was Corinth, wasn't it? Corinth. A- at Corinth, that's right. At Corinth, um, you want to guess what he did there? Anybody have any thoughts about that? He was preaching. Yeah, he—he he seems to have done the work of the evangelist there. There's mention of that in First Corinthians chapter three and chapter sixteen, and and uh, you know that's a—it's a very interesting thing to read about his his passage over there and his work over there. Um, didn't have a lot of time for our chat group to get into this too much, so. Um, Stepping back, we don't, I don't think we have any answers to our chat question. Uh, as I said, probably just didn't have enough time to think about it. The question, though, was what what things of the Lord could Apollos have been accurately teaching? So what do you think? What do you think he was teaching about Jesus? Oh, I'm sorry. We do have an answer from Gregor. Gregor just now got back with us. Um, and if we can pull Gregor's answer up there. Um, there you go. Oh, I see it now. Uh, that, that, and I'm sure he means God. That God would forgive that Jesus was God and the Son of God. So very interestingly enough, those were things that John the Baptist declared, um, the the repentance, the forgiveness of sins that was coming through the Messiah. And John declared to his disciples that Jesus was the Lamb of God. So he would have had a lot to say about Jesus. He just wouldn't have been able to say that Jesus had arisen from the dead, had established the church under his authority. So, so Gregor, that's exactly right. That, those are some good points.
4: Uh, uh, actually, Brian, I reading into this, it says he taught accurately the things of the Lord. I believe based on that, that he probably did teach the resurrection of Jesus. And I, 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 I believe that he knew exactly who Jesus was and he was teaching about him. He just had some confusion as to John's baptism and exactly what that confusion was. I don't know, but, but I, that's what I see in this. I, I, Uh, The fact that it says he accurately taught the things of the Lord to
2: me indicates that he understood who Jesus was. Well, what's interesting, Tom, is that if he did teach the resurrection of Christ, you might you might be throwing us another thought to think about. If he knew the resurrection of Christ, that 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 baptism of Christ would have been into the resurrection. And if you're right, then there might it might be an issue that he might not have. He might have even been baptized into the resurrection of Christ. Um, yeah, and, if he and, knew and, about it, one would think he, it would be hard for him not to know about the baptism of Christ and the resurrection of Christ.
4: Yeah, exactly. But there was just something, and 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 I. This is one of those examples. I wish we knew more, but we don't. You yeah. know, you know what exactly was he teaching about the baptism of John versus right. the baptism of Jesus? I I mm-hmm. I know that we as brethren get into arguments about whether or not the disciples of John that were baptized before Jesus arose from the dead had to be baptized again. I you know that's a source of debate. Uh, but the bottom line is it has absolutely zero bearing on us today because uh there's nobody alive today to whom it could possibly apply. So uh but I mean there's there's debate over those types of things. You those Baptized in the name of, or baptized by John for the remission of their sins, prior to Jesus being raised from the dead and the beginning of the church, and those baptized in the name of John after Jesus arose from the dead. So I mean, there's, I mean, and again, we don't have an answer for it. I, you know, I, I mean, we have our, we have our theories, and we can make our arguments and so on. And uh, good arguments, I think, on both
2: sides. Uh, Thanks, uh, John. John, so, you got so, anything on this, Dad?
4: Yeah, and and, and so well, that's the challenge with this.
0: Yeah. The only thing that that kind of and this takes an an assumption, and into chapter nineteen, just a little bit. If we assume Apollos is the one in Corinth who taught the disciples that they find in chapter nineteen, when um. Paul travels. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit? The replies, we have not even heard if there is a Holy yeah. Spirit. Now, that makes me wonder whether or not they knew about Pentecost. They probably didn't know about the events on the day of Pentecost. Um, if they didn't know about that, it's possible they didn't know about the death and resurrection of Jesus. It would be hard to to teach about Jesus, teach about his resurrection, and not teach about Pentecost. Because it was only 50 days later after his resurrection, and if right. you're going to teach about Pentecost, you teach about the coming of the Holy Spirit, right. and that and that, that's why that's why I don't mean to disagree with Tom so much, but I just wonder because of that question, we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. My yeah. point and, to and, that, and,
4: and I would say that, and obviously we're going to get into it. I, and I I would say to that, I agree with you, John, and which is the point I'm making is there's there's just so many things we don't. Yeah we don't fully grasp about what was being said. I mean, what, what's so interesting about what you read there in verse 26, uh, or, uh, or a verse, uh, yeah, verse number 26, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And it's like, just immediately there's this change, you know, I mean, I, and, and he's, he's vigorously declaring who Jesus is and so on. And, uh, it's just very, very abrupt, you know, how much he would have had to have been taught in order if, if, if there wasn't some understanding there. That, and, that's just, and again, this we're all, we're all assuming now. I mean, uh, these are not things that are taught in Scripture, which is the challenge of this text. But I do want to emphasize you can argue about this all day long, and it has no bearing on whether or not we have to
2: be baptized. You can only get these kind of heavy debates on truth factor. So that's my thought for the day. Um, So really, we kind of finished up chapter 18 uh, at this point, and so I actually turned the study back over to somebody else only because of the divisions of man. But remember, this really is chapter 18, chapter 19 here should be connected right together. We have two conversations about disciples of John in Ephesus, um, one their relationship with uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and the other with uh, their relationship with Paul. Uh, so, turn it over to our next host. So, I can't recall who's our who's our next host at this point. That would be me. Tom is it?
4: That uh, that would be me. So, we do go into chapter nineteen, the continuation of Apollos, and some events taking place in the city of Ephesus. Even though Apollos leaves them, <laughs> and and uh, so so Apollos leaves uh, Apollos leaves the picture. Uh, and Paul comes in in place of them. And so uh, let's go ahead and begin here with the first 10 verses of this chapter here. And Paul, could I get you to read those?
1: Sure. Acts 19, 1 through 10. And as I'm looking there, uh, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And Acts nineteen one through 10, beginning at verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So he said to them, "Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him uh, who would come after him. That is on Jesus, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil, of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, and this continued for two years. So that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks.
4: Okay, uh, thank you, Paul. Uh, and, and again, you know, uh, we read, we we emphasize again, we're we're just continuing the dealings with Apollos and the teachings of Apollos and uh, some other things that happen here. Uh, uh, let's go ahead and start here with a chat room question for these particular verses. And it is, and the question is, and I don't know if you're going to pop that up, or do you have that? Yep.
2: Okay. We're, okay. we're already in there.
4: Okay, so the question is, when is it necessary to be baptized again? And uh, so... Let's think about that question while we engage in a discussion of this. And and, and 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 I'll tell you right up front, even the question itself is loaded. So, so uh uh. But anyways, uh, getting to the events, we find here in uh, verse number one, uh, we find Apollos goes to Corinth. Uh, you remember in the last few verses there, he was sent to Achaia. Corinth is in Achaia, and so on and. And, uh, he has letters of recommendation to the brethren there to trust him that, that he will be somebody who will be helpful for you in whatever it is he's going to be doing. And it's kind of interesting because as he goes to Corinth, Paul comes to Ephesus and uh, he's going to devote considerable time in Ephesus. We read here in the text, two years, actually it's two years and three months. And, uh, uh, a couple of chapters later, when he is engaged in a conversation at the end of this preaching journey here, uh, uh, he will r- remind them that he was here for three years. So so uh, he was here for a considerable length of time and so on. Uh, and he comes to Ephesus, and the first thing he does is he finds some disciples. And, and the first question I would ask, uh, you know, it, it talks about he finds disciples. Who, who was he looking for? You know, because we find out that these are disciples of John. Well, was he looking for those who were already believers in Jesus? And he you know, he f- left
2: Priscilla and Aquila there. You know, Tom, it's interesting. He left Priscilla and Aquila there in the last chapter. So we know that they're disciples of Christ. Um, he spoke one time in the synagogue, but, you know, like I said, it's kind of interesting. It doesn't seem like that created disciples of Christ. So I think it's neat when he gets there, what your question is, uh, who is he looking for? Um, and, and maybe he's not looking for anyone. Maybe just the point is he comes across these disciples, but they're not disciples of Christ. They're, they're disciples of John, um, which, is, which is not something we would, of course, you mentioned this before. It's not something we would deal with today, but it certainly is an interesting thing for the first century because they would be righteous people, but they wouldn't fully know the way of Christ.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And bear in mind, we're dealing here with a time frame, uh, mid 50s, maybe, you know, at, at, at the very latest, early 50s to mid 50s. So so understand that, uh, you know, let's just for a round rounding sake, say the church began in 30 AD. You're talking 25 years later, you know, somewhere in that range. Now, a lot of things have been happening during that time. Uh, but there would have still been a lot of disciples of John around, or obviously we know that there were some, there were some disciples of John, and that would be the point that you have here. But he comes here and he finds, he finds these disciples and whoever he finds, uh, you have those who believe in God and are, are willing to follow after God, but they're following error. You know, they are teaching a degree of error and so on. And so that's what takes place on this particular occasion. Now, uh, what problems do we find with these disciples that Paul finds when he arrives there?
3: They were baptized with the baptism of John and uh, didn't know of the Holy Spirit in any way.
4: Yeah, exactly. So there was obviously some false teaching that was associated, or and it, it was false based upon the timing, by the way, you know, based upon the timing of it. Had these things been taught prior to the resurrection of Jesus, they would have been accurate. or And and, uh, or, uh, and uh, possibly they were accurate, it's just it was incomplete. And I think there's lessons for us in that. But So that's some of what you find as to the problems that are dealing with here. Anybody have any other thoughts associated with that? So we know that they don't know Jesus, and we know that you've got this issue with the Holy Spirit. So... Uh, they have not received the Holy Spirit. And, of course, their response is, uh, what Holy Spirit? You know, uh, we we haven't even heard of it and so on. And that, that causes Paul to ask the question into what then were you baptized? And, of course, they said into John's baptism. And that leads me to ask, how did Paul contrast the baptism of John with the baptism into Christ?
3: The baptism of John was the lead to the baptism of Christ. He, he preached that it was, uh, you know, and we read about this in the Gospels when we look at John. Uh, but when he was baptizing, he was preaching that you needed to be looking for the one to come after him. Uh, and that was supposed to be the, you know, kind of leading up to Christ.
4: Right. Yeah, exactly. Other thoughts? Because I I know we've got other things that are associated with that. Uh, it, it, it is things leading up to Christ. So I mean, it would remember one of the things that that John taught as he was preparing the way that this is the time. You know, we are living in a time where there that the Messiah is coming, and uh, uh, th- there were people that were willing to follow after that. And of course, Paul emphasizes those things concerning this particular baptism. Uh, and again, we don't have the complete teachings on this occasion, the questions and so on, but what was their response in verse 5?
3: No, they were baptized in the name of the Lord
4: Jesus. They responded. Exactly, exactly. And what happens, what does Paul do after that?
3: It, it's interesting this point here, Tom, uh, we we talked about this a little bit in our Bible class uh, last Wednesday, we're going through Ephesus, or Ephesians, sorry, uh, we're going through Ephesians in chapter one. And the points made there in that chapter that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we were kind of going into talking about what that meant. And in doing that, we went to places like Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and here in Acts chapter 19. Uh, And it seems that when we're baptized into Christ, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians chapter 1 would suggest that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yes. And uh, some people would say that that is in some form of a miraculous sense. And it's interesting to go to Acts chapter 19 to show that that's not the case. Because though we know that, you know, the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit has now ended, its purpose for fulfilling and confirming the word was was completed. We can go here even back when uh, the Holy Spirit was being given in a miraculous sense and see that that was not in connection to their baptism for the remission of their sins. Uh, you know, in verse five, they were baptized. That would be when they would receive that gift. That would have been when they were sealed. Uh, And then in verse six, a completely different action happens where Paul lays his hands on them and they receive the miraculous working. Uh, So it's interesting to note here that there's nothing uh, of a miraculous sense of the Holy Spirit coming upon us in our baptism.
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh, And that's definitely a great point to notice the distinctions here. And it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. the, The question that Paul asks them. When he meets with them, is uh, had you received the whole, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, <laughs> and, and they needed clarification as to exactly what that was associated with. So that that's very much an interesting observation. So you look at this text, you've got the Holy Spirit in two different formats or or in, in two different ways uh, as to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So that, that's a good point. Anybody else uh, have any other thoughts on this? So that takes place. Uh, we read here that, uh, uh, that that they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. So now abilities are given to them. Uh, and we're told there was about 12 of them. So so this would become a pretty good nucleus to continue with whoever was still there with the church. Like, as was mentioned, Aquila and Priscilla are here. I, I uh, oh, 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 Wait a second. Are they here or are they in? Uh, no, the, yeah, they were here. So you, you had Aquila and Priscilla here, and you would have a, a small nucleus of brethren, and now you have more that are added to them. So that leads us to the next observation that we would make, and, and that is the fact that it, it says that uh, Paul went into the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly uh, in uh, about the kingdom of God and things concerning the kingdom of God. And how was that received? Any thoughts? Well, well you know, go ahead.
1: Some are,
2: oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. I'd be happy to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I was just going to say some must have received it well, but it does tell us that some were hardened and became disobedient, speaking evil of the way. Right. Yeah. Oh. I, that's what I was going to say. Um, you said it better than I did.
1: I think the key word there is some. Uh, some were hardened and not believed, but I'm sure some did. And there were enough that did that he continued reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Maybe not as welcome in the synagogue as he had been, but he continued reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus for two years. But uh, there were some who did and some who didn't. Some.
4: Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, we're not given the percentages, but obviously it was enough that disbelieved that Paul felt it expedient to quit going to the synagogue. And uh, and so he would go and uh, he secured, and we don't know anything about this either, you know. He secured a location in the school of Tyrannus, and he began teaching, and he was there for <coughs> two years. And being in the school of Tyrannus, he would have had more opportunity to interact with, with both Jews and Gentiles alike, as opposed to the limitations of being in the synagogue. And so that becomes a, a benefit. And, uh, and as was already mentioned there, he's there, for, uh, 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 he's there for two years in this particular place. And uh, what is the result of Paul teaching at this location for two years?
1: The word did not only go to Ephesus and to those there who were assembling with him at the school of Tyrannus, But the word, uh, as Paul would teach and people would go out, uh, maybe if he made any kind of uh, day trips uh, around or whatever it would be. uh, But in some way, the word uh, that all who were in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So as you mentioned, not just limited to the teaching of the Jews, but now the Greeks are are being taught when Paul uh, relocates. And we see here that it has an impact not just on the city of Ephesus, but upon all those places roundabout. Uh, John uh, records the Lord's message to the seven churches of Asia.
4: Yep, absolutely, and and that's the observation to be made. You know, uh, when you get, like I said, when we get to Acts chapter twenty, where Paul tells him, "I will for three years I did not cease to warn you." We have two years, two years and three months. Here, So we've got another nine months. I suspect that Paul did some traveling throughout Asia while he was at Ephesus. You know, he would make short trips, but also Asia being the type of a, of a city it was would have received a lot of individuals that would have carried the gospel beyond just simply the, uh, the walls of that particular city. And that's how the gospel spread in the first century and so you have many many who are believing in him and Paul's able to stay here longer and it's kind of interesting that toward the end of these preaching journeys that Paul has he's staying longer at places you know I mean uh, uh which becomes interesting after they become established there's more that needs to be done. So any other thoughts that anybody has on any of these verses going through verse 10? Okay, if not, uh, let's go back to our chat question. And uh, I guess, do we have some uh, answers dealing with that? Okay, uh, when is it necessary to be baptized again? What kind of uh, answers do we have there?
2: The first one comes from Gregor. I He's actually saying, think that actually goes back to our previous comment, John. I'm sorry. Oh, there it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to read it, Brian? Sure, sure. Let me, let me uh, <clears throat> save face here. Thanks. Uh, baptism. Did you understand that you were dying to your old self? Did you do so out of obedience to God? Were you baptized as a symbol of Christ's death and resurrection as well as removal of sin? Yeah.
4: And those are those are clearly great observations to make. And then he then he goes on and he has another statement after that, uh, where he makes the point, you know, if no to any of the above, I would uh, I would consider being baptized for the right reason or baptism for the right reasons. And, and of course, the whole point of my question in asking that is. Uh, is there's times where people need to realize that even though they were baptized, even though they were immersed in water, even though they understand who Jesus is, and again we don't uh, we know that there was some misunderstandings about Jesus here, but understanding who Jesus is, if you're baptized for the wrong reason, you need to be baptized for the right reason. And and I made the point that I I think this is a loaded question because if you think about it when you talk about being baptized again, or so we sometimes use the term rebaptized, in reality, is that what you're doing? In, in in reality, what's happening is you're being baptized for the remission of your sins for the first time.
1: Yeah, yeah rebaptized is a convenient phrase, but yeah, exactly. it, I'm not sure it accurately represents the. I mean, there's multiple baptisms in in scripture. Uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians that there's one baptism, and I believe he's referencing there that there's one baptism for which all men uh, need to obey, uh, all people need to obey. And so, as you consider that, if you've if you've done it right, then there's no reason to do it again. But if you've not done it right, it's time to do it right for the first time.
4: Yeah, for, and that's the whole point. It's time to do it for the first time. But, but, but Gregor brings up good examples. I mean, if you were not baptized for the right reason, if you were baptized to please your parents, if you were baptized to please your friends, uh, if you were baptized without fully understanding what you were doing, the commitment of it, uh, yeah, and, and the, the way that I would tell somebody about that, if you're not sure, it's better to be baptized If you pardon the expression, it's better to be baptized again to make sure. And and the point that I would make is if for some reason you were baptized for the right reason, if God accepted it the first time, the second time is not going to nullify that. But if you were not baptized for the right reason or God did not recognize it, by being baptized properly and with a proper understanding, there's no doubt in your mind, which is the significance of it. So anyways, anyways, uh, this is a great passage to emphasize somebody that, like, say they come from the denominational world. Oh, I was baptized. But you understand they were baptized because of the remission of their sins instead of for the remission of their sins. Uh, Do it again. Remove any remove all doubt because, you know, uh, from that standpoint. Any other thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, Tom, I've yeah, got I'm something to throw to in here to, to this. Oftentimes, oftentimes, we members of the Church of Christ are accused of putting of of putting an emphasis on baptism that comes across as if we're saying all you've got to do to be saved is to be baptized. And um, and, and I see this often because you have in th- this attitude because many times when you have someone who decides to um, become part of a congregation. And I know of one case in particular where one of the spouses years ago were baptized in a denomination. And the baptism at that time, it would have been because of the remission of sins, not for the remission of sins. In other words, she would have been saved first, and then she was baptized. Well, many years later, after getting married to someone who's a member of the church, well, you know, I was baptized. And everybody's like, fine that's great you know it's like that's all you gotta do is be saved is be baptized it doesn't matter the reason doesn't matter the reason as long as you're baptized but what you've been talking about here reasons do matter it's it's you know you could have someone you got two let's say a family they go out camping and you know three of the kids they're all swimming around in the lake well that night they're gonna have a little devotional around the campfire and 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 one of the the people with them is not part of their family um but they they teach him about Christ and he says i'm ready to be baptized and they'll say great you were in the water 3 hours ago that's good you're baptized now you know it's that sometimes that's the way we teach it in that we put yep. that emphasis on it but the reasons do matter and there was a fellow some years ago came to me um after a sermon came forward and he said, John, you know, I was baptized so many years back, and I don't think I did it for the right reason, so I want to be re-baptized. So I looked at him, I said, so what you're saying is that for the last so many years, you've not been a Christian, and you're ready to become one. And and that stubbed him for a moment. And after thinking about it, he said, yeah, I guess so. And later he said, well, you know, I really threw him with the question. I said, well, that's the point. You know, yeah. if you're saying your baptism wasn't right, if it wasn't for the right reasons, then whether it's three years or 30 years, if you if you want to make that decision, you are now saying, "I've not been a Christian all these times you, know, you can't go back and get baptized just in case you know you right. you have to acknowledge that so I'll get off the rant and turn it back over
4: and and you're exactly right about that, John, and that's kind of the point of the question is because it is it is a big issue that we understand why we are doing it yeah. and, uh, and and and, and, it, and that's a source of great debate today.
1: Um, just, just for what it's worth, I uh, I begin usually, uh, if I'm studying with someone who wants to know more about the gospel or, or uh, in my interaction with them, I don't believe that they have obeyed the gospel. We ask those questions and answer those questions before we begin yep. teaching. Uh, I, I ask them why they were baptized. Uh, I've, I've got it all written down, but uh, when how old they were. Uh, what yep. the method was for their baptism? Uh, were they saved before or after their baptism? Uh, did they get baptized or did they believe? And then six months later, uh, were baptized, you know, it, uh, they set a specific date or something or, and, and talk about the reasons and, and ask some of those questions. And I, we write those down. And so then after we finish studying, uh, a lot of times people say, well, yeah, I've already been baptized. And then I can go back and say, not in a, Uh, I suppose the impolite word would be snotty, not in a snotty way, but uh, just to say, well, here were the answers you gave at the beginning. They don't seem to match up with the Bible pattern. And so we need to make sure that you do things right.
4: Exactly. And that's kind of my point, you know, in in thinking about these things. And, And it definitely is good to ask questions before, you know, when you when you begin studying with somebody, I, I, I like that idea, you know, just make sure you know, because you can come back to it later on as as you deal with it and as you're teaching. So so that's a great that's a great observation with that. Does anybody have any other thoughts on this here? OK, so that leads to a uh, that leads to another question that we want that we just want to think about. Now the rest of this chapter, and there's quite a few verses, we got thirty-one more verses, they all kind of blend together. Do we uh I don't know that we're gonna get through all of them this this morning. Do we wanna stop early or do we wanna just go as far as we can and then finish up next week or see what happens?
1: Well, I'm full of opinions, so I, I would say that this is a good stopping point. Um, because it does transition after this verse. Uh, And I think you're right that you probably, in looking here, uh, we've got less than 15 minutes that that we are allotted. I don't think you'll be able to complete another section even. So uh, I would suggest planning on finishing this all next week uh, through the end of the chapter would be my suggestion. But I will submit to the collective will of the group.
4: Right, exactly. So, And that was kind of my thoughts on, uh, on that because because of the rest of the chapter. So anybody else have any
2: thoughts there? Yeah, I think that's fine. Hopefully, our audience will forgive us, uh, you know, for you know this terrible indiscretion. But uh, I think it's probably a good place to stop. Right. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And, to to and, and, right and if and if you need another fifteen minutes, go to those times that we went over and just listen to the last few minutes there. So. <laughs> So, so well, with, with that in mind, let's go ahead and just wrap it up for the day then. And, and we'll, we'll finish up chapter 19 next week. Uh, and hopefully I will be here depending on some circumstances that might happen. But anyways, I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to John. So.
0: Right, Tom, I guess we could finish up. I was looking at the section of 11 through 19. If we don't spend too much time on it next week, we could probably finish up the rest of the chapter um oh yeah be 31 and and
4: it's all tied together and it's all tied together as it deals with Paul and Ephesus okay
0: well we're gonna let you go early today so you go grab your extra lunch eat an extra cheeseburger or an extra salad um if you're really tired get an extra 10 minute nap um so you have the extra time unless I keep talking so All right, I appreciate the discussion. Brian, thank you so much for leading your part of the study. And Tom, thank you for starting us in Chapter 19. Uh, If you're not with us, we'll continue with your um, um, outline for the study. That way, if anything goes wrong, we can blame you and all will be well. But more importantly, thank you so much for joining us for today's study. Are there any other thoughts or comments real quick before we start the, the closeout?
2: No, we didn't mention it. Uh, Gregor brought up a couple of extra points just about the characteristics with the teaching of, of Apollos that I think were neat. And Gregor, sorry we didn't get to cover those in class. Gregor mm-hmm. said there's a good example of how to deal with somebody who, uh, we, he and I talked a little bit about this, how, has, a, has a genuine misunderstanding of an idea versus somebody who's a false teacher. And that's a neat point we didn't get to really talk about with Apollos and how uh, Priscilla and Aquila uh, pulled him aside and corrected him.
0: Well, I'm going to bring this comment up real quick, just so that we can read it. Um, he says, this tells us that a false teacher is also oh. a matter of intent and purpose, as a may
2: I not have, have been. And that was mine. If we go back oh. about two oh. comments, I think. Well? If we're able, maybe we can't. Was it not uh, the I less? Agreeable. Let me just read it real quick. Uh, Gregor's comment was, was not the lesson of Apollos more on how to correct brethren versus gospel information? So, you know, we talked a lot about what Apollos may or may not have known. And Gregor says, you know, the, the lesson to us, the you know, Gregor was bringing out a truth factor moment for us. Uh, he was saying that the lesson for us is how do we correct somebody who may not be accurately handling you know the truth, but with a, uh, with a genuine misunderstanding. That's a good point.
1: I think we've heard before when we've looked at at things like this, that uh, when you confront an honest man with his error, he either ceases to be an error or ceases to be honest. And uh, Apollos was an honest man.
4: Right, yeah. And uh, one thing I'd say about that, though, and and I know that there's disagreement on this, but uh, a false teacher is somebody that teaches false. So, I mean, there is a sense in which he was a false teacher. I mean, I mean, uh, if, if the individuals, and we didn't really go into this, if the individuals in Acts 19 believed in the baptism of John because Apollos taught them, and, and I think that that's a possibility, uh, maybe even leaning toward a probability, they were misled as a result of what they were being taught. That has nothing to do with the sincerity of the motives of Apollos. We want we like to make a distinction between the false teacher that uh, has devious motives and the false teacher or, or and the one who is teaching error. And I think that distinction needs to be made. However, they're both false teachers in a sense. It's just one is willing to be corrected and one is not. I and that's, that's my
0: thoughts on that. I think that's an interesting point. I mean, if if, if we're going to say uh, Bible things in Bible ways, then 2 Peter 2 uses the term false teacher and very clearly defines that individual, you know. But then we we see Galatians chapter 1 and the Jews and you know, though they're not called false teachers, we see their teaching error as well.
1: There seems to be an alignment uh, and I'm not sure if uh, if the term false teacher is a title uh, and it's equated with false prophets in the Old Testament and we know the false prophets like in the days of Ahab and Jezebel for instance mm-hmm. uh, that, that uh, spoke against God and, and would not change and, and so it it's going to depend upon uh, the idea of are you Thinking of a false teacher and the idea uh, of someone um, just as a blanket generalization of anyone who teaches anything that's false, that or you thinking of this kind of a title that's given uh, here in Second Peter chapter two and verse one. Uh, that's and, and I just preached lesson Sunday about um, identifying a false teacher, and I walk through this chapter and make about six different points of what a false teacher that Peter warns against. Looks like in sec in the book of Second Peter, and that's not that's that does not seem to be someone who's religiously confused who needs to right. just uh, adjust their thinking or, or uh, be taught more accurately. Uh, there seems to be more to it, and so it depends. I think on if you're viewing this as a as a specific designation, they're identified. This is a false teacher, or if you're looking at someone who needs to be corrected. Both are dangerous. Uh, both. Yeah uh are dangerous but anyway i'll be quiet
4: <laughs> uh, yeah and and both are teaching error and understand very clearly i think a distinction needs to be made i i i totally agree with that and it needs to be a very very clear distinction you need to look at the motives behind what somebody is doing uh but uh, of course the whole point is is you need to deal with the error this becomes a this becomes a subject of discussion dealing with issues of fellowship mm, yeah. and various things associated with that that's why this is a serious discussion or 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 a serious issue you know when somebody's teaching error and you believe that they're teaching error but you, they're sincere quote unquote sincere you know does that give you the right okay we can sweep aside our differences we can sweep aside your error and say that you're
0: okay. I think what then it boils down to is, is how it's dealt with on the part of elders, let's say. Yeah. okay, yeah. If you have someone in the congregation you find out has been slowly driving a wedge within the congregation with a doctrine that is false, then as the elders, and you know it is very intentional, you have to step forward with strong um, fervor to stop yeah. what is going on. And you would you would... Go at it from that standpoint in love, but let's say you found out one of your members is teaching; he's got a misunderstanding on marriage, force remarriage, for instance. Yeah. And in a, a discussion or a small Bible class, this came out. You could sit down and study with him, and you would have gentler hands, if you would, working with yeah. him than you would with those who were intentionally trying to divide the church. You know. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Yeah, but it's how you approach yeah, it, it.
4: Yeah, in our private conversation. Brian mentions Jude twenty two twenty three, yeah. And it makes yeah. the distinction there. You know, you have a distinction. Some you snatch out of the fire, yeah. you know, and others you you're gentle with them. So, so absolutely. Yeah. I but anyways, I just think that that needs to be mentioned when we deal with the idea of false teachers. Yeah. And now we're getting closer to the hour.
0: Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and close this out. Sorry, guys. All right, you won't have time for lunch. Big lunch. You get a little smaller one. So. Now, now that second lunch is over, you threw it.
4: Yeah, you have an appetizer.
0: <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Lord willing, we'll continue our study next Wednesday at eleven o'clock a.m. Central Time
1: in the United States in the Eastern Time Zone. It's at noon,
4: and that is nine a.m. on the Pacific Coast, and it's ten a.m. Mountain
2: Time.
0: Anything from Shelton? <laughs> That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.